This morning, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you're able to remain standing, please remain standing as we read God's Word together. We're going to go back to the big story, and we're going to spend the next two weeks in Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to look at the first 10 verses this week. We're going to look at the last 10 verses next week, and we're going to do kind of a mini-series on the heart, on the heart. This week, we're going to see the effects that trials have on the heart, and next week, we're going to see the the effects that success and prosperity often has on the heart. So we're going to read all 20 verses together, and then we'll break it into two parts in the two weeks, all right? Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, says this, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known, make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. You shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Heavenly Father, we come and we don't take it lightly that we enter into the presence of the Almighty and entering into the presence of the Almighty, we have His undivided attention. That we come through the access that has been granted us through Christ Jesus and we come boldly and we come humbly, simultaneously knowing that you, O God, listen to your children. And so we pray, Lord, 
that your spirit would come and fill us, that your spirit would fill me, your preacher, and them, your people, that, that there would be a transaction that can only be explained with the language of heaven this morning, that the people would be transformed more into the image of Christ, convicted of their sins, comforted in their afflictions. I pray that, Lord, those who are complacent, that you would draw them out into, into action. I pray that those who are withdrawn and hurting, that, God, you would deliver them from their suffering. I pray, Father, that you would show us your intentions with our lives that we might devote ourselves unto you. We come to you now as your people in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're back in the big story. We come to Deuteronomy, and I want you to remember where we were when we stopped. We stopped in the book of Numbers, and you remember where we left off? Miraculously, God has brought Israel out, uh, brought Israel out of Egypt. He has collapsed the Red Sea over them. He has delivered them only by his power, only by his name, only by his glory. Plagues, they have no ability to do this themselves, right? Then he brings them into the wilderness. And he's, they're between Egypt and the wilderness, or uh, between Egypt and the promised land, going through the wilderness. And on their way to the promised land, how are they going to eat? How are they going to drink? How are they going to be protected from the elements and protected from all of the hardships that they face and, and protected from, from what was surely be exposure except the Lord sends them bread from heaven and the Lord sends them water out of a rock and the Lord guides them with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. The Lord sustains them day in and day out miraculously. They sustain in the wilderness just as miraculously as they are delivered from Egypt. And God brings them to the edge of the promised land. You know what he says? There it is, boys, go get it. There it is, boys, go get it. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. It is a land of prosperity. It is a land of wealth. It is like them walking into their own Fort Knox. We equated it to, to God giving you a billion shares of apple stock. There it is, man. A land that is fertile, a land that is ready, a land that is able. You just go and enjoy it. They send 12 spies into the land, and as the spies return, they bring out clusters of grapes that are the size of Volkswagens. Surely the Lord has been good to them, except, except, except what they see is they see opposition that terrifies them. They see men that appear to them as giants, and they begin to believe that it is an insurmountable opponent that they have to face, and they are disheartened. And they say, surely God has brought us here so that he can kill our children. We would have been better in the land of Egypt than we would be to come here where God has brought us today. God has brought us just that we and all of our generations may die. Would that we could just go back to Egypt. And God disciplines them. God says, if that's how you feel, after I have delivered you from Egypt, after I have covenanted with you on Sinai, after I have delivered you through the wilderness and rained you bread from heaven and poured water out of rock, if that's how you feel, if you believe that I can't be trusted with your children, then surely you will never enter this land. And the Lord leads them back into the wilderness and he will not give the land over into them. But you know what he says? He says, you thought I was going to kill your children. Instead, I'm going to bless your children. I am more trustworthy than you are with your children. Your children will enjoy, will enjoy the land that you were intended to enjoy. 
And so where we pick up in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is, is, are the words of God given to the children of the unfaithful generation. Those are the words of God given a warning and instruction that they might not suffer the same fate that their parents suffered. That they might go in and actually enjoy the land that the Lord has given over to them. That they might not just enjoy it, but go in and remain in it, stay in it, remain in prosperity, remain under the blessing hand of the Lord. You know, it's interesting when you think about it. The, the children of the unfaithful generation were raised in the wilderness and it was not of their own choosing. They were raised in a wilderness, not of their own choosing. Here they are in their 40s and 50s, and they were supposed to have been children that grew up in Canaan, who grew up in prosperity, grew up knowing the blessings of the Lord, grew up knowing the stories of how God had delivered their parents from all of the, the foes and the giants. And they were the ones, they should have the stories of the walls of Jericho falling, and they should have the, the stories of, of God going and, and smiting and wiping the land of all of his opponents. But instead, they have to go and fight their parents' battles. Instead, they have to go and face their parents' giants. Instead, they've grown up in the desert when they were intended to be in the middle of the promised land. I wonder if any of you could relate to that. I wonder if any of you could relate to that. I wonder how many of you are living or have lived in a wilderness that was not of your own choosing. You did not choose for your husband to have an affair and leave you. You did not choose for your boss to come in and let you go from your job. You did not choose that you would be abused by your parents or, your, or someone that was close to you. You did not choose the fact that your mom and dad got a divorce one day and then suddenly you never saw your dad again. You didn't choose that. You didn't choose that you're battling with infertility and you didn't choose that, that you're, uh, you're still single and you want to be married. You didn't choose that, that you're, you're facing uh, bad health and a cancer diagnosis that you weren't looking for. And so here you are in the middle of a wilderness and it's not of your own choosing. And you're, you're dependent day by day on, on just what the Lord will give you that day. Enough strength that day. Enough health that day. Enough energy that day that you can make it through. So, so what are we to do? What are we to do when we can say that we're in the same place as the children of this unfaithful generation? I think that's what brings us back to the big story. Remember what the big story is about, okay? Uh, we're kind of coming back from time in Advent and looking at the Connect Disciple Go series. We're coming back to where we've been. And the big story is not about us going and finding all the really cool stories in all the, the different books of the Bible, okay? What, what, what the big story is about is showing you that the all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is one cohesive story. There's one main character, Jesus. There's one storyline, redemption. And all of it fits together to show us how Christ is revealed, how redemption is unfolding. And it's this reality, this realization, that gives the context that is needed to understand how you're supposed to respond if you're in the position that Israel is in. If you find yourself in a wilderness that is not of your own choosing, it's this reality, this, this big picture reality, the, the revelation of Christ, the unfolding of redemption that gives context to your story so that you can see that it's not about just what you're doing right now. It's about where you're headed. I want you to think about two, big, two main ideals of the gospel, right? So, so when we talk about the gospel, remember, we're not talking about a gospel presentation. We're talking about big picture gospel, right? 
When we talk about Christ, we're not talking just about Christ's crucifixion. We're talking about all the things that necessitated Christ, all the things that caused us to long for Christ, all the things that, that revealed Christ in the Old Testament, and all the things in the New Testament that point back to Christ, right? So, so we're talking very big picture. So, so there's two things that I want you to think about. First of all is the reality of sin, okay? If, you're, if you find yourself in the wilderness today, it's because of sin. Now, it may be because you've sinned. It may be because there's sin in your life and you've brought consequences into your life and you've invited the discipline of the Lord like, uh, like the parents in Deuteronomy. Or it may be because of the effects of sin. If you've been abused, it's not because you've sinned. It's because this world is cursed. It's because this world is filled with brokenness. It's because of the effects of, the, of sin having come in and infiltrated this world. If you've been betrayed by your husband, it's not because you sinned. It's because this world is filled with sin. That brings us to the second point. The second point of the gospel is that God has, has, is in the process of redeeming and restoring all of this world from its brokenness and from its sin. That the Lord is working in the process. He's working in the midst of overcoming your brokenness and overcoming your abuse and overcoming your wilderness experience that he might ultimately have you prepared to receive the glory that is due you in Christ that you could share in the inheritance that Christ has given to you. And so really verse 2 says something that's almost difficult for us to process. Look at what verse 2 says. It says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Think about that. They weren't there because they chose to be there. They weren't chose there because they, they weren't there because they wanted to be there. Just like you if you have cancer, just like you if you have suffering, just like you if you've just suffered a major loss in your life. You're not there because you chose to be there. You're not there because you want to be there. You are there, though, because the Lord has led you there. The permissive will of God. The Lord has led you into the wilderness. But here's the, here's the hope, that if the Lord has led you into the wilderness, then the wilderness is not aimless. The wilderness is not purposeless. The, in, the, the wilderness is not accidental or incidental in your life. The wilderness is heading somewhere. In fact, that's what I want you to see this morning, is that as we look at trials in our lives, that the trials in the wilderness prepare us for joy in the promised land. The trials in the wilderness prepare us for joy in the promised land. That's the big picture. That, that, in other words, the Lord hasn't brought you into the wilderness because he wants to ruin your life. Do you believe that? Sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? Sometimes you, you get to the end of your rope, you get to the end of yourself, you, you find yourself per, uh, profoundly depressed, you find yourself overwhelmingly anxious, you find yourself uh, facing uh, uh, insurmountable circumstances that you know you can't overcome, and you just wonder, God, why are you ruining my life? But the reality is, is God isn't ruining your life, God is preparing you. God is preparing you. God is forging character in you. God is strengthening faith in you. God, God is drawing out of you what, what you need to have in order to be prepared for the will that he has set before you. So he leads you through the wilderness that he might prepare you for the promised land. I want you to see three specific ways that the trials of the wilderness prepare us for the promised land. The first one I want you to see is that the wilderness tests your heart. 
The wilderness tests your heart. Let's keep looking at verse 2 here. It says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Now, when we talk about in the Bible, when we use the word heart, what we're talking about is we're talking about the inner man. Or to be politically correct, the inner man or the inner woman, the inner person, right? So it's everything that you want, it's everything that you think, it's everything that you feel. All of these are encompassed within the heart. So when God talks about the heart in the scripture and and the storehouse of the heart and the treasure trove of the heart and the fountain of the heart... What he's talking about when he says that the greatest commandment, he said this just before this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, actually. I only didn't preach it, uh, start preaching there because we preached it to you so many times. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is that the, that the greatest commandment is that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And so what is he talking about? With all the things that you think, with all the things that you feel, with all the things that you want. That all of those are aimed at the Lord. And so what we are seeing here is that the idea is that God has brought them, God has led them into the wilderness that he might test their hearts, test what they want, test what they think, test what they desire, what they feel. Now, as you begin to think about that, as you begin to think about how the Lord tests us, what is he showing it? God never has to test you so that he, I've told you this before, but it's a point that's worth repeating. God doesn't test you so that he can learn what you're all about. God doesn't test you so that he can learn whether or not you're going to be obedient or disobedient. God doesn't test you whether, so that he can learn whether or not uh, your, your heart is devoted to him or not devoted. God knows, okay? God knows. God knows everything about you. He knows who you are, what you are. He knows what you've done, what you're going to do. He knows everything there is to know about you. So why does God test us? So that you can know. So that we can know. So that we aren't under false illusions ourselves about how good we are, about how faithful we are, about how strong we are, about how obedient we are, about how devoted to the Lord that we are. God tests us so that we can see what our hearts are really made of. See, our lives, our hearts are kind of like a tube of toothpaste when you think about it. And what trials do is trials begin to squeeze in on that tube of our hearts and so that we can ultimately see what comes out when they're squeezed. You see, the wilderness doesn't make you. The wilderness reveals you. The wilderness doesn't make you. The wilderness reveals you. And here, here's what I mean when I say that. It's a kind of a funny way to say it. If you go all the way back to, Deuteron- uh, to Genesis chapter 3, and it's right after Adam and Eve have just eaten, and the, the first sin has come in the world, and the world has come under the curse. Do you remember what Adam does when God confronts him? He blames his wife. God comes and he confronts Adam in his sin. And you know what Adam says? Well, God, if you hadn't hadn't given me that woman, if you hadn't given me that doggone woman, and she's looking good doing all her thing, and she just came up and said, hey, eat this. I ate that. God, what did you want me to do? If it had just been me, if it had just been me as as a solo man, I promise you my heart would have been all yours, Lord. I would have given you everything that I had. I would have loved you with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. You would have been the, the soul. Lord, you gave me that woman, and that woman made me do it. I see what you did there. That was a nice touch, Daniel. That was a nice touch. 
we live in a day in which it is the blame of Adam being lived out through modern psychology. Here, here's what I mean by that. You can take whatever hardship you have, in your, whatever, whatever uh, flaw you have in your life, and you can, you, maybe you have an explosive temper. Maybe you're abusive. Maybe you mistreat your children. Maybe you're impatient. Maybe you're lazy. Whatever your vice is, you know what you can do? You can take that and you say, well, my dad, he had an explosive temper. My, my dad, he was, he was a problem. He, he was a troublemaker. My, my dad was always impatient with us. My, my dad was always, my mom and my dad, their marriage was bad. And I'm just, I guess it was just destined for me. My mom and my dad made me do it. You can take whatever trouble you have whatever bad decisions you've made, whatever sins are in your life, whatever vices are true of you, and you can blame them on somebody else. Y'all, that is Genesis 3 lived out in the 21st century. What's the problem with that line of thinking? You can have two children in the same house, in the same circumstances, with the same parents and the same dad who respond in totally different ways. You can have one child who grows up and has the explosive temper of his father. You can have another child that grows up and is, is, is disciplined to never be like that at all and to be patient and kind and, and, and long-suffering with someone. You, you can have one child who, who responds to abuse and, and they would come completely off the rails. And you can have another child that responds to abuse and they, they aim to bring gentleness and kindness into the lives of others. I'm not saying that it's not influential. Understand what I'm saying. Your upbringing, the the circumstances in your life, they certainly influence the decisions that you make. They certainly influence the the vices that you have and the habits that you form. They certainly influence. What I'm saying is they're not causative. They don't make you do those things. You decide to do them. In other words, they come out of your heart. They come out of your heart. That Your problem is not who your mom and dad were. Your problem is not how much or how little money you have. Your problem is not that you're single or that you're married. Your problem is your heart. Your problem is your heart. And when your heart comes under stress, and when your heart is in the heat of the wilderness, what comes out of you is you. That's why Jesus says it's not what comes into a man that defiles the man, it's what comes out of him. That's why Jesus said that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. What you say is not accidental. What you say is not aimless. What you say is you, man. It's you. I think there's a help. I think there's a proverb that can help us see that. It says uh, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, keep your, your translation may say, guard. Keep your heart with all vigilance from fear. Uh, For from it flows the springs of life. That is, we might think of the heart like this. The heart is the root. The heart is the root. The heart is the source. It's where where the nutrients are absorbed. It's where where your potential is held. It's where um, your your personality is. It's where your your longings are. It's it's the root of everything. And then the springs that come out, the, the behavior, that's the fruit. That what the fruit does is the fruit is just the revelation of the root. Uh, the man named Paul Tripp, this isn't original to me. 
he puts it like this. He looks at a story like this and he says, when you're in the heat of the wilderness, this is my son to uh, be the heat. I'm not really doing a very good job drawing it there. He says, if you, if you imagine Israel as they're out in the wilderness, all of Israel is under the sun, right? As a matter of fact, the previous, the unfaithful generation faced the same heat that the new generation is facing, right? And so you can imagine, we'll, we'll picture those two generations with two hearts, right? That you have the unfaithful generation and you have the new generation. And they're both experiencing the same heat in the wilderness. That is, they're, they're both experiencing the, the stress of, of food, of provision. They're experiencing the, the uncertainty of tomorrow. They're, they're, they're experiencing all of these different things. And it's the same for us, right? That, that we, when we think about heat, we might uh, be listening and we might be experiencing a bad marriage or we might be experiencing rebellious children or we might be experiencing pressure at work or we might be experiencing bad health. All of these things are heat, but it's coming down and it's coming down on all of us together. In our minds, we, confuse, we convince ourselves that other people aren't facing the same kinds of heat that we are. But y'all, I, I know enough of y'all to know we're all in this together, man. We're all facing heat together, but it comes down and the difference, the difference is, is what kind of heart does the heat fall upon? You see, upon one generation, it grew and it sprouted thorns. It sprouted, it sprouted bad fruit. It sprouted, it sprouted grumbling and impatience. It, it, it sprouted unbelief. It, it, it sprouted worry and anxiety. It sprouted despair and self-pity. It sprouts explosive anger and abuse that carries forward to another generation. It it sprouts uh, rebelling against your marriage the same way that your dad rebelled against his. It's it's taking the, the diagnosis and allowing that to begin to define you rather than who Christ is. But then there's a different response. And the difference between the response is not the willpower of the person. The difference in the response is the heart. The heart That in the same heat, facing the same circumstances, you can have a person that doesn't grow thorns, but grows fruit. That blossoms into the very person that God has intended for them to come. They face disability and they are not overwhelmed by it. They don't like it. They don't enjoy it. But they trust the Lord. They face the same upbringing, but the upbringing doesn't define them. The Lord defines them. They face the same job crisis, but the job crisis doesn't unwind them. But instead, they trust in the provision of the Lord. So so on one hand, you you experience impatience, and you experience uh, self-pity, and you experience uh, uh, anxiety and worry and unbelief. And on the other side, you experience the fruit of the Spirit, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. And what's different, what's different is the heart. Let me ask you, what is, your, what is springing out of your heart? What is springing out of your heart? Is it good fruit or bad fruit? Because the fruit shows the root. The hard part that we all have. For some of you, the case is this. What you see coming out of your life is only thorns. It's only thorns. And the answer is, is that you should repent of your sin and place your hope in Christ. That Christ, if you place your hope in Christ, Christ will give you a new heart, that new fruit can spring forth out of it. But then that leaves the rest of us, those of us who are in Christ. And you know what the problem is, is we're kind of a hybrid between these two. We're we're a hybrid tree. 
Because we are still putting to death the old self. We are still putting to death the flesh that is in us. And yet the Lord, through his kindness, has given us a new nature that is springing new fruit. And so we have new fruit that is wrapped in thorns. So I wonder this morning if you're seeing good fruit wrapped in thorns and if the Lord would have you go and repent and pluck that thorn out of the ground. The next way the wilderness prepares us is that the wilderness teaches you priorities. The wilderness teaches you priorities. Notice what it says in verse 3. It says, and he humbled you and let you hunger. Now, can I ask you a question? Are you guys okay with that? It literally says, God let you hunger. I let you be hungry. I let you suffer, in other words. I let you face hardship. I let you face uncertainty. I let you know what it was like to not have all of your needs met in the time that you think they ought to be met. I let you know what it was like to believe that I had forsaken you. I let you believe, let you know what it was like to feel relational distance between me and you. Think about Job, right? See, see we, we have this idea that because God has said he will never leave us and he will never forsake us, that God will be with us always. Y'all, that is true. But it's not always going to feel like it. It's not always going to feel like it. In fact, God will let you be hungry. God will let you experience what it feels like to have relational distance with you, so, with him so that it brings you to the end of yourself. So that, listen to what he says, And he humbled you and let you suffer and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes, for, comes from the mouth of the Lord. That is, that he might teach you, right? That he might teach you. Does this quote sound familiar? Does this quote sound familiar? It should sound familiar. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter four. And do you remember where Jesus was when Jesus says this? Come on, y'all, Bible scholars. The wilderness, hello, Hello, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. He goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan and Satan tempts him to do what? Satan tempts him to take that which is temporary and to get what is temporary and to forsake that which is eternal. he, He tempts Jesus to take stones and turn them into bread and to turn them into bread and to meet his temporary need while forsaking the kingdom of God. And what does Jesus say? I can't do that for it is written. It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds forward from the mouth of the Lord. See, one of the things that the, one of the primary reasons that you get a wilderness education is to teach you that you are more than bread. You are more than bread. That you need more than bread. That you need to live for more than bread. Bread includes all of the temporary things that we are tempted to give our lives over to. It's that crisis of the moment. And I, and I begin to get my priorities out of, out of whack because all I'm obsessed with, all I'm longing for, all I'm hungry for is some bread. And so I'm not worried about God. I'm not worried about God's kingdom. I'm not worried about eternal things. I'm only worried about bread. It's battling through infertility and then only worried about the baby. I only need a baby. If I just had a baby, my life would be complete. I'm, I'm single and I just, I want to be married. And so I'm only obsessed with being married. It's, it's 
the ambition of your job. I want to be the most successful fill in the blank, whatever it is. And so it's, I'm going to give my life. And I know that there are eternal things I ought to be concerned with. I know that there is a bigger picture I ought to be living for. But what I'm obsessed with, what I care for, is just that I would be successful in this moment and then I'll worry about all of those things later. And so bread is living your life for these temporal things, building up your business, building your family, uh, making yourself uh, be able to be the best at whatever hobby you enjoy. It all boils down to living for bread. And when you live for bread, there's two reductions that happen that are irretrievable. First, 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 you reduce the Almighty to a gift. You reduce the Almighty to just the gifts that He gives to you. Bread was meant to draw their gaze up to the Lord, wasn't it? As he rained down the bread on he- from heaven and he gave them all that they could need and he supplied every need, the thought was is that the gift was supposed to elevate their head, that, it would, that they would meet eyes with the Almighty and long for the Almighty and hope for the Almighty and to know he was with them and he would not forsake them. But here they are hungry. They aren't concerned with the Almighty. They're only concerned with bread and they have reduced him They have reduced him to only gifts. That is, they have robbed God of his glory that he is due. There's a second reduction that happens. It reduces you to nothing but a body. That is, it robs God of his glory and it robs you of your dignity. It makes you as though you are nothing but a body, nothing but another animal crawling around this world trying to feed himself, trying to eat. That is, it causes you to live as though you have no soul. As though there is no inner man. As though there is no spirit in you that is going to live forever. As though there is no part of you that is going to exist forever. That all you're concerned with is the here and now and the temporary. Think about how this is happening in our day. Y'all, you know what our society has done? Our society has effectively dehumanized us and then called it progress. Let me say that one more time. Our society has dehumanized us and then called it progress. What our society says is to live for your body. Live for right now. That is, whatever sexuality makes you feel good, live for that. There's no bigger picture. There's no eternal purpose. Whatever gender you desire to be, this boils down to what do I want right now? What, what do I want right now? It doesn't matter the design. It doesn't, because there's not a design. Maybe you're not tempted in those ways. Maybe you're tempted to live for the paycheck that's coming. The, the world tells you that you need to build the nicest world that you can build for your, the nicest kingdom that you can build for yourself right here. Why? That's what you want. Keep doing what you want. Keep doing what feels good to you. Keep doing what makes sense to you. Keep living like you're not going to live forever. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that there is a day coming in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And on that moment, in that day, you will not be deceived that you will live forever somewhere. You will live forever somewhere. So the call here, to bring you through the wilderness is to teach you, to instruct you that you are more than bread. You are more than right here and right now. You will endure forever. So I wonder, I wonder this morning in the wilderness, I wonder in the wilderness if the Lord has has taught you that your priorities are out of sync. 
when all the other noise has faded into the background and all the other duties have melted away, has the Lord instructed you that this, that, that you have not been solely, singularly focused upon him? That brings us to the final way that the wilderness prepares us for the promised land. And that is that the wilderness trains your faith. The wilderness trains your faith. Look at verse five. I wish I would have put this in the slides, but I didn't. There in verse five, look at what it says. It says, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Now, this is interesting because here is the, the children of the unfaithful generation and they're in the wilderness because of the decision of their parents. And so they're left and they're have to, having to deal with the consequences of their parents' discipline before the Lord. But it was not the result of their own sin. It was not the result of what they had done. And so I think that there's a, there's a bigger picture. The, the word for discipline there can actually be expanded. Certainly it encompasses the reality that they've been brought into the wilderness because of what their parents have done. But it encompasses more than that. The idea of discipline there is not so much as uh, consequential as it is preparation, as it is training the way that an athlete trains, the way a marathoner trains for the big run that's coming up, the way that a football player lifts weights in the offseason. That, that the idea here is that God is, is forming in them an ability, forming in them a character, forming in them the virtues that are necessary for them to be able to move forward and to actually do what, all the things that he's wanted to do. So they're going through the wilderness and the wilderness is functioning in the lives of this generation like resistance training, strengthening the muscles of their faith strengthening the muscles of their, of their love of God, strengthening the muscles of their devotion to God, strengthening all of those things so that now in their 40s and 50s, the Lord can move them forward to take hold of that which he has given over to them. You see, in the, in the wilderness, you're, you're tempted to do one of two things. You're, you're tempted to either look within or to look up. You're gonna do one of those two things. You're either gonna look in and see how strong you are or you're going to look up and you're going to say, Lord, I'm too weak. I need your help. And so the purpose, one of the primary purposes of the wilderness is to train you and to bring resistance into your life and to bring hardship into your life and to let you be hungry and to lead you into the wilderness that you might be able to train your faith to be in the right object to train your faith to be based upon the right source. Because let me just tell you, if your faith is based upon you, brother or sister, you are in a lot of trouble. You are in a lot of trouble. So look at what he says. He says in verse eight, uh, or chapter eight, verse two, he says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. That he might humble you. In other words, that you might not trust in yourself that you might not depend upon your own strength, that you might not, your hope might not rest on your own abilities, that your hope might not rest on your own faithfulness, that your hope would be realistic about your limitations and your weaknesses and your insufficiencies. And then, then look what he says in verse four, your clothing did not wear out on you. Now, I want you to think about this. So, so, so he's humbled them, he's brought them low. And now he's bringing attention, not to, to their weakness, not to not even be able to find food. And he's, bringing their gaze up. He's bringing their gaze up and he's saying, has it occurred to you that some things haven't occurred to you? You're sitting there and you're worried about your food and you're thinking about all of your problems. And you're thinking about all of your troubles. But have you noticed that your clothes haven't worn out? This is so cool. 
I mean, this is like checkmate God, right? Like, this is just awesome. He's like, have you noticed that your clothes haven't worn out? Have you noticed that your feet haven't swollen? You see, you see Israel, you see my children, you see Iron City. There's no detail I've overlooked. In the smallest details, in the smallest thoughts, in the smallest ways, I have sustained you every single step. How have you made it through the wilderness? Yes, I led you in the wilderness. Yes, I let you be hungry, but I sustained you every step, every day. My provision of grace was resting upon you in ways that you were not even aware that I was superintending the smallest details to make sure that my children would sustain, that my children would be okay. Y'all, Is that not a cry for us to hope on the sovereignty of the Almighty? Is that not a cry for us to hope on the sovereignty of the Almighty when we're in the midst of the wilderness and we can't see? It reminds me of one of my very favorite quotes. I've got it here on the screen that John Piper says. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. This reminds me of my own experience in the wilderness, and I, pr- I promise I'm not going to go back to this well too often, but this is something that, that you've walked with me through. Can I just be honest? The last five years have just been hellacious for me. Hellacious. Um, and this year, I had eight months, eight months, where I had a headache 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Eight months. And many of you have prayed for me, and many of you have just sought the face of God with me. Of course, you, you know about the surgeries, and... and I'll be honest with you, it brought me into depression. I've, to, I've told you guys that. It's, it's caused me anxiety. It's caused me to, to fall into self And honestly, it's revealed some things in me. I've responded. It, some things, some thorns have sprung out of my heart that I'm not proud of and I'm not happy with that, that have been revealed through this time. About three months ago, I was um, in here, and I was talking with Daniel Nance. And he, Daniel has just, start, restart, has just started going to seminary. And honestly, when Daniel started talking about seminary, I started throwing a pity party. Um, I, was, I was about halfway finished when my intestines ruptured four years ago. And I assumed that with the health struggles that I've had and the headaches, it's just, I just haven't had the capacity to be able to go back and do that and do the other things that are necessary. It's just kind of just making it through the day, you know? And he's talking about seminary, and I started having a pity party about, man, I wish I could do that. God, I, I want to do that so bad. I want to do that so bad. I, I want to go. I want to graduate. I want to. I want to learn. I want. To, I, I love all of those things. And then we started talking about counseling. He was going to do counseling, and it was like a bolt of lightning hit me. I thought, man, I, that would be a dream for me to go and to become a certified counselor and get a master's in counseling. All, all of those kinds of things. A month after that, the Lord had worked through my neurologist to finally find something that was a breakthrough. And I knew it was the hand of God. I knew it was the hand of God. You know what I thought about so often while I felt so bad was how much time I wasted when I felt good. And I thought, God, I am going to offer you everything that I've got, everything that I've got. And I thought, I'm supposed to do counseling. God, I feel the best I've felt in five years by far. And God brought me through the wilderness to let me know what it's actually like to hurt. I didn't know what hurt was before. 
God brought me to the end of myself. I didn't know what it was like to be at the end of myself before. God put me in a position in which I could actually empathize with the hurts of other people and the struggles of other people. To walk in the shoes of somebody who has a disability that you can't clearly see with your own eyes. To cause you to not be so stinking judgmental all the time, Cody. And looking back, I don't know what the future holds. I can only tell you where I am right now, right now. Looking back, I can see that God was at work at every stinking turn, at every turn. That he had led me through the wilderness, but it wasn't aimless. He was leading me toward the purpose that he has set before me. Set before me. And I know, I know I'm supposed to give my life to this. It's the mission that I have. That I can walk with all of you. That, I, that we can reach out to our community and say, come with, with your brokenness and come with your heavy lateness. And, and let's show you Christ. Yeah. To counsel with the word. And y'all, I don't ever want to go through that again. I'll be honest with you. But I am so thankful that the Lord has brought me through it. Look at how this manifests in Israel's life. Brings us back to our big idea, right? That trials in the wilderness prepare us for joy in the promised land. Look at how verses 7 through 10 land this plane. For the Lord your God is bringing you. Are, are you walking? Or are you taking? Are you doing it? No, I think it says that the Lord is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now listen to this. Listen to this. They had been through the wilderness and the Lord had led them on a painful path. And it was a wilderness not of their own choosing. But do you know what the Lord was doing? Though they walked through a wilderness not of their own choosing, God was going to give them a promised land of not their own deserving. The Lord was bringing these things full circle so that now, now the painful path that they lead led to an abundant joy abiding in the goodness of God. Your path is headed the same place. Your path is headed the same place. You may not know the fullness of that realization until you stand before him in glory. But you're more than a body, brothers and sisters. You're gonna live forever. You live by the word of God, the promises of God. And the promise of God is, is that the last tear will be wiped from your face. That you will sit at his feasting table and you will rest with him forever. And so this wilderness it is preparing you for the joy of the promised land. Let's pray to the Lord together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. -on -one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. 
we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.